0: Hello, and welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. This podcast helps to inform and empower you about your rights within the workplace. We cover topics and examples of various matters in employment law, including sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, racial discrimination, how the courts define a hostile work environment, whistleblowing, and everything in between. Workplace Justice is brought to you by the New York City Employment and Civil Rights Law Firm, Nassar Law Group. Here are your hosts, Mahir Nassar, Casey Wolnowski, and Jeffrey Rosenberg. Hello, everyone,
1: and Happy New Year. This is the first podcast of the year, and today is a special one. I am your host, Meyer Nassar, and today I am joined with an esteemed scholar in the area of workers' rights. Professor Joan C. Williams is a distinguished professor of law at the University of California, Hastings Law, the chair and founding director of the Center for Work-Life Law. Professor Williams is known for her work in workplace bias issues, specifically gender and racial bias. She widely known for bias interrupters an evidence-based, metrics-driven approach to eradicating implicit bias. Professor Williams has written many books on the topics of work, gender, and class, but her most recently released book is Bias Interrupted, Creating Inclusion for Real for Good, which provides a clear roadmap for workplace leaders lasting progress in their DEI goals. Thank you so much, Professor, for joining us today.
2: Delighted to be here.
1: Thanks. So tell us a little bit about Bias Interrupted and what it was really meant to do in terms of the message that you're looking to uh, give out to leaders within the workplace.
2: Well, you know, companies spend about $8 billion a year on bias training, and research shows that much of it's very ineffective. Some of it's counterproductive. We've been working on these diversity inclusion issues for 20 years, and there's been very, very little progress. It's because we've been using ineffective tools. Very often, the chief tool is an employee resource group. Mm -hmm. And employee resource groups are great, don't get me wrong, but the problem is not with the people of color or the women. So building the capacity of the women and the people of color ain't going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is with the business systems. Mm -hmm. If a company has problems with diversity and inclusion, typically it's because Subtle and, you know, frankly, not so subtle forms of bias are constantly being transmitted through their talent management systems and through everyday workplace interactions. So bias interrupters help the company fix the business systems to address the bias.
1: Oh, very interesting. And so you look at it more from a perspective of structural business structural issues rather than specifically an individual approach, more about how the business needs to correct it from a business standpoint. In ho- from a structural. In a structural standpoint. Yeah. Okay.
2: So I always say, you know, to address structural racism, you have to change structures. Yes. Who knew? Right. You know? We know that's true in policing. It's also true in organizations. And let me just give you one example. We worked with one company to analyze their performance evaluations and we found that over 90% of the people of color received comments about their personalities on their performance evaluations. It was much, much lower for white men. Mm-hmm. So you got to keep track of whether that's happening. And if it's happening, there's a very simple approach, which is just you set off one little box for, uh, in performance evaluations for personality issues that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm and another for skills that need to be developed. And then just look for patterns. And our research and lots of other research shows that if you're not trying to correct for this form of bias, you will find patterns because a person of color behaving in a way that in a white man would say be seen as a admirable passion for the business may be seen as overly emotional if the person is a woman or if they are Latinx, may be seen as hot-blooded even, mm-hmm. or in an African-American man, may be seen as intimidating, when all that they were doing is has to do with a business disagreement.
1: Interesting. And so these forms of implicit bias that you mentioned that are somewhat kind of lurking within the system, they're a part of the systems that exist within a company, how does, I guess, bias interrupted and the interrupters kind of solve this issue in kind of changing that system.
2: Well, I'll give you one example. The website that I put up about almost a decade ago, Mm www.biasinterrupters.org, one of the things that it has is a simple two-pager that's called Identifying and Interrupting Bias in Performance Evaluations. And we did an experiment where we just read people through that two-pager out loud, and it takes a lot less than five minutes. And both black men, black women, and white women all had increased performance evaluation ratings and increased bonuses. Just doing that takes about two minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, people can't interrupt bias if they don't know what what it looks like. Right. So there are lots of tools on the website that people can use to interrupt bias. And the book also, the last chapter of the Bias Interrupted book, has 15 things anybody can do to interrupt bias at their workplace.
1: Wow, that's wonderful. This is a definitely a book that uh, every, every business leader as well as any employee should actually look into purchasing as a part of their process of learning about how to really overcome these systemic challenges within these businesses. Now, I mean, in light of the fact that so much money is being spent in DEI efforts, I mean, is it like, why haven't we seen progress? Is it really because of the fact that they're really targeting the wrong objectives and goals?
2: You know, one of the problems is that if you think about how businesses solve any problem, they look at the evidence, they develop some goals and metrics, and then they, persistence, they keep trying to achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. That has not been done Mm -hmm. in the DEI context. Very often, people will sign a, you know, sign on to a pledge, or they will have an employee resource group, as I mentioned. Those things are not going to change the business systems. So you have these forms of biases constantly being transmitted through the business systems and people aren't doing anything effective to change it. I'll give you another example. Another form of bias we call prove it again, that some groups have to prove themselves more than others. And in many professional workplaces, white men are judged on their potential, but everybody else, else it, you know, kind of has to have cash on the barrel. Mm. If that's true, you know, you can sign pledges till the cows come home. And if that keeps happening, you're going to hire more white men. You're going to hire people, women and people of color are going to have to have higher quality credentials in order to get hired. They're going to have to have higher performance in order to get promoted. And, you know, either you're going to solve that problem or you aren't. And if you aren't, nothing's going to change.
1: Yeah. And you raise that issue because I mean, in some ways, as a part of this whole performance improvement plans and these evaluations that occur, you know, you raise an issue about how in many ways, the way that people of color are, they discuss a lot of, let's say like their communication styles, their other aspects of their general demeanor as a part of their leadership or their um, general communication skills and how that impacts their ability to rise up in that particular institution. Employers will say that, you know, we have a meritocracy. It's really based upon the performance and the work product and whatever that individual is doing. I mean, do you think that employers need to change the way that they view meritocracy from the perspective of acknowledging these underlying challenges and systemic issues?
2: Um, most Americans believe in meritocracy. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in workers' rights, framing this as a challenge to meritocracy is not a very good tree to bark up. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what the research shows. The fact is, we aspire to meritocracy, but the research shows that too often we don't have meritocracies. For example, one famous study, I call it the Greg Jamal study, found that Jamal needed eight additional years of experience to receive the same number of callbacks as Greg another famous study found that a woman who is a mother is half as likely to be promoted as an identical woman who is not a mother. Mm -hmm. So we like to think that we have meritocracies, but very often the meritocracy that we seek is being undermined by these common and unexamined forms of bias.
1: And such as like? favoritism, preferential treatment, or any form of nepotism? Well, some of it's
2: that, but a lot of it's more
1: subtle. Right. A
2: lot of it's more subtle. You just look at a young young white man and you go yeah. like, oh my God, he has such promise. Yeah. Whereas you look at a man of color and you go like, well, he's never done this before. How, how do I know he can do this? It's not necessarily evil motivations, mm-hmm. I think is a really important point. Some of this is just you know our thought patterns based on stereotyping it doesn't mean that it's not illegal right. under Title Seven. Mm-hmm. very important for workers to know. But yeah, you can be really seriously disadvantaged um, by somebody with good intentions who is nonetheless treating you differently in terms of your terms and conditions of employment.
1: And so how do we, I guess, in many ways, leadership and management has a lot of say in how these systems are changed. And um, with respect to your book, and getting them to really take it upon themselves to actually implement these lasting changes, how do we actually kind of make that paradigm shift from talking about an issue and actually create catering to lasting change?
2: Well, I mean, I think the fact that uh, one persuasive point is that companies are wasting a whole bucket load of money right now. Yeah. They're, making, they're spending huge amounts of money and accomplishing very little. That doesn't make sense from a business standpoint. The other point is that just about every business depends on teams and that the research shows that gender bias corrodes team performance and so does racial bias. Mm -hmm. Teams with higher what's called collective intelligence, in other words, the uh, intelligence of the team as working together. Um, That collective intelligence is more than twice as important as individual intelligence in team performance. And teams that are gender diverse are higher in collective intelligence. So if you are not attracting and retaining and promoting a proportionate number of women, your team performance will be poorer Mm. than it should be. Teams with racial diversity literally work harder and they consider more options And do so more effectively. So, you know, you may think your organization is a meritocracy and that the teams are working just fine, but you've never seen what a well-managed, diverse team can do. Typically, it's better Mm -hmm. for your business than what you have if you have a non-diverse team.
1: Yeah. And so now in the current era with everybody, to some extent, as a result of this uh, pandemic, having to work remotely to many extents, or having a hybrid work schedule. How has bias been affected in terms of this? And how, what have you seen in terms of your research?
2: Uh, it's a mixed picture. Hmm. Um, let me start by talking about the five basic kinds of bias, because sure. it's important to understand all five because they're quite different. Okay. The first three are triggered both by race and by gender. One is the prove-it-again pattern I talked about before, Some groups have to prove themselves more than others. The second we call the tightrope, and that's that office politics Mm. is more complicated from some groups than others. Again, that, you know, person who has personality problems is driven both by race and by gender. A white man can behave and has a much broader range of behavior, especially is um, authoritativeness and assertiveness are expected are are accepted from white men much more so than any other group, and that's the tightrope that other groups have to walk. The third is also a race-gender pattern we call the tug of war when bias against a group fuels conflicts within the group.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In the context of gender, this is often called the queen bee problem, as if this is like just another woman with yet another personality problem. But it's really that if works a boys' club. Some women who are ambitious, they just join up and align with the boys against the other women. Mm -hmm. Um, The same thing can happen by race if it's a very polarized environment. So where, quote, acting white is the way to get ahead and everybody knows it. Then the, the last two patterns, the strongest form of gender bias is the maternal wall, gender bias triggered by motherhood. That is wildly strong and wildly pervasive. Strong negative competence and commitment assumptions triggered by motherhood. Mm-hmm. And then finally, there are some distinct experiences of different racial groups and distinct racial stereotypes. For example, that Asian Americans are good at technical tasks, but not leadership. African Americans also report really high levels of isolation and disrespect. So, those um, five, it's important to recognize those five patterns of bias. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going back to your original question. So if a well-implemented, a transition to hybrid work can help diversity goals, both race and gender. It can help gender goals because it will make it far easier for moms to balance work and family. And it will f- make it far easier for dads to balance work and family, which in turn makes it easier for moms. And that's because first of all, you know, the average worker saves an hour to two hours right away in commuting time. And secondly, once you're working in a hybrid schedule for many, many workers, that means that you can take little breaks and a way to attend to family matters in a way that's much harder or impossible to do from the office. Um, the research also shows that people of color Are um, especially Black people, are disproportionately likely to prefer hybrid work. And that's because, frankly, dealing with white people, bless their hearts, is very exhausting for many Black people at the water cooler, and that they would far prefer to work at home because that water cooler environment is very stressful for them. So handled well, a transition to hybrid work can help achieve your diversity goals. However, handled poorly, it will corrode them in the following way. The research already shows that white men get wildly more access to career enhancing assignments than any other group. Our research over like 18,000 people almost shows that something like 80 85 to 90% of white men typically say they have fair access to career enhancing assignments. Mm-hmm. But other groups, much, much less so. In one sample, only 53% of Black women agreed. Other groups were in between. Well, if you transition to hybrid work in a way that is kind of infected with on-site favoritism, that people who show up every day with their rears in their seats are going to get the best assignments. Then it's going probably in many companies it's going to be disproportionately white men mm-hmm. who are again artificially disadvantaged. So what we have on the Bias Interrupters website at www.biasinterrupters is a return to hybrid work toolkit mm-hmm. that provides very concrete tools that organizations can use to make this this transition successful, both from a business point of view and a DEI point of view, a diversity and inclusion point of view.
1: It's particularly more challenging, especially in this day and age, especially for those that start a new job completely remotely, yes, right? It's hard. That is extremely hard because like, they have very limited interactions with those that they report to or or any other team members outside of a couple of Zoom meetings and phone calls. Um, how much of that, in your opinion, and to some extent, how much implicit bias is, or subtle or Uh, you know, subtle bias or uh, overt bias, do you feel is as a result of that, or do you feel like it's less?
2: It really varies from place to place. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of tools, again, on the bias interrupters website to help. Um, You can do it for your whole company, Mm -hmm. or you can, if you manage, you can just use many of these tools if you're a manager for people who you manage. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to do that in order to have um, hybrid work really work well.
1: It's interesting we um recently had a podcast with another attorney that was uh primarily caregiver rights, and with what you mentioned about how in the current climate in especially women that are working from home and have let's say young children, you know the challenges that they face in terms of
2: can, can I jump in here? Of course. Because actually, the Center for Work-Life Law literally invented caregiver rights. Oh,
1: wonderful. So tell us about it.
2: When I founded it, um, who was that attorney, by the way?
1: Rebecca Pantikas.
2: Yeah, she's a a close friend of the center. We've worked with her for over 20 years. Oh, wonderful. When I founded the Center for Work-Life Law 25 years ago, mothers were being fired and told it was because they were mothers. And federal courts were saying that that's not a violation of federal employment law. Mm -hmm. That's discrimination based on parental status, which is gender neutral. Title VII doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. And so we got together social scientists who studied bias and found that, as I mentioned at the start of the hour, Bias against mothers is the strongest form of gender discrimination. Mm -hmm. And now it's thanks to the good work of Rebecca Ponticus and other attorneys in our work-life law attorney network, and I would urge any attorneys listening to this to join it, we have the the rate, the success rate in federal courts of plaintiffs in caregiver discrimination cases is actually a lot higher than um, it is in general employment discrimination cases. So we run a hotline for workers who encounter discrimination based on caregiving. That is 415-703-8276, 415-703-8276. And we also run the Work-Life Law Attorney Network, which helps attorneys like Rebecca and others litigating caregiver discrimination cases. These cases have gone up through the roof Mm -hmm. under COVID, and um, we uh, actually have established a a special hotline for workers who have problems related to COVID, Mm -hmm. but they can just also call COVID in caregiving, Um, but they can also call our our general hotline. There's been, in the past two years, there's really been threatened to be a wipeout of mothers' careers because of massive discrimination. We've seen uh, employers actually far more brazen than we have seen them for many years in discriminating against adults with caregiving responsibilities, sad to say. But we literally pioneered that area of the law.
1: Well, there you go. Well, thank you for that. Well, thank you, Professor Williams, for taking out the time today. For everyone that's listening, definitely check out the newly released book, Bias Interrupted, Creating Inclusion for Real for Good and for all the great work that you're doing at the Center for Work-Life Law. Definitely check it out at the, if you have any questions and you need help, feel free to call 415-703-8276. Thank you once again, Professor Williams, for taking out the time.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for your interest. Thanks for joining us today on the Workplace Justice Podcast. Love this episode? Leave us a review and tell us what you think about our show. If you haven't subscribed yet, Head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss a new episode. Need help? Talk to an employment lawyer today. Visit our website at NassarLaw.com or call 212-600-9534 for your free case evaluation. See you in the next episode.